Well, this morning I uh, want you to uh, listen as I read the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God. This morning we're looking at Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. So listen now to the very word of God. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice of thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come! And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the, li the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the living, or the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come! And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. The authority was given over them, over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with the famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Amen. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to these words because they are powerful words indeed. Now, in the first four chapters of Revelation, we see how God, uh, Jesus was standing in the middle of the seven candlesticks, uh, a symbolic uh, representation of his presence in all the churches. In chapters two and three, we saw him addressing those seven churches, encouraging them with promises instructing them, and even rebuking them, calling for their repentance. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we see that Jesus is celebrated. He's, he's worshipped as the one who is equal in power and glory to the Father, that uh, he is the Lamb who conquered death by his own resurrection from the dead. And of course, as the great Redeemer of his people, we expect Jesus then to be in the church. We expect him to be with his people, supporting them, even by his own ministrations and prayer and power. But uh, as we, we think of Messiah, we need to remember those ancient prophecies that spoke of him as a great king over all the earth. So, for instance, Genesis chapter 48, verse 10 the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And then in Daniel chapter 2, verse 24, we hear, hear this prophecy. In, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It will crush and put to end all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. 
And Psalm 2, of course, expresses the kingly power of Messiah, where God said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. The messianic expectations when Christ was born was that he would defeat all his foes, that he would set up a mighty throne to rule over the earth. But were the Jews wrong? Did they misinterpret the scriptures? Did Jesus establish an earthly throne? Or are we to think of Jesus only as a spiritual redeemer but not a ruler of nations? Do we expect him to break the nations with a rod of iron? Romans chapter 1 verse 4 asserts that Christ, in fact, was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Yes, Jesus has fulfilled Psalm 2, and he is fulfilling Psalm 2, as well as all the Old Testament prophecies. And Jesus is reigning as the king from the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem in heaven. Revelation 5 shows us that Jesus was, in fact, crowned as king, the king of kings. And he takes the scroll from the one who sat on the throne. He takes that scroll. And now here in chapter 6, we see him breaking the seals that, that sealed that scroll as he takes his rule and reigns over the earth. Now, I know some Christians believe that Jesus is going to reign on earth for a thousand years, beginning when he returns. But Revelation shows us that, in fact, Christ is reigning even right now. Amen. Right now, he is the king. He's not waiting to be king. So, again, chapter 5, we're told the lamb is, is worthy to open the scroll. He's worthy, then, to execute God's decrees for this world because he and he alone has fully and completely obeyed God's law. He laid down his life as a propitiation and then he took it up again in order to conquer the power of sin and death. And, and again, as we come now to chapter 6, he is, he is the one who is being worshipped. He is the one who is being adored as the very son of God with power. And with all that praise and all that worship now being given to him, he breaks the seals to execute those, those, those decrees, those counsels. But notice that as he does so, John says that he is the lamb. He is the lamb who breaks these seals. That's a very important detail because... This is still the redeemer of his people. In other words, the mighty potentate of the universe is not governing afar off, being untouched by his church's suffering on earth. John deliberately says that this is the lamb who breaks the seals to show us that it is our savior who is in control over the affairs of men. All the trials and all the tribulations and difficulties and persecutions that will be described in the following chapters are in the hands of the one 
who infinitely loves us, who died for us. These are not going to be arbitrary events, but Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is controlling all these things for your eternal good. The very Lamb who suffered on the cross is not only the atonement for sin, he is, in fact, beloved, the king who is advancing his government, advancing the kingdom of God as your savior, and he governs all these things for your benefit. That's a mighty thing to hear, isn't it? But notice also that, again, this scroll had seven seals. And each one of those seals are broken by the Lamb so that the things contained in the scroll can occur. Now, we talked about this uh, when we looked at that in chapter 5. The number 7, of course, is a highly symbolical number. It's used here to reveal that that, that scroll contains the whole perfect scheme of God's providence for the earth, and particularly for the church. Now, of course, that plan of God for the church includes joys and, and blessings and advancements, but it also includes sorrows and hardships and persecutions. And the decrees of God are the ups and downs, the falls and the revivals of the church. And all of this life in the church takes place in a world that will also go through ups and downs, advancements and calamities. And as the church is always protected in the hand of the Savior, the world, though, will grow in wickedness and rebellion. And so the breaking of the seals is the unfolding of the whole plan of God, including the consummation. When 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus will hand over the kingdom to the God and Father, to his God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And so we're seeing that Jesus is reigning, and the judgments in chapter 6 are part of his reign. Now, chapter 6 talks about these seals and uh, judgment coming out after these seals are broken. Uh, this will, fall, will be followed by uh, trumpet blast. They'll also pour out judgments on the earth. And following that, bowls will be emptied out and judgments will fall upon the earth. So we're going to be reading a lot of judgment. But we should not read these judgments as occurring chronologically in history, but as, as successive periods of divine administration. The, these judgments, in other words, are, are going to overlap. They're happening simultaneously. What is being depicted in all these judgments is that they cover the entire period of time for when Christ first sat down on his throne to the final consummation. Each of these judgments, the, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, are different aspects to the one 
harmonious administration of the Lamb as he governs over every period and era of history. Now, another thing that we're going to see in all this, just by way of introducing these next couple of chapters, is that uh, we will see through the various cycles of judgments, they, again, they're depicting the same judgment we told from different perspectives, but there is a progression. Indeed, as we move from the seals to the trumpets to the bulls, we will see an intensification of God's judgment upon the dragon and upon the false prophet and all those who serve them. More than that, we will also see an increasingly uh, violent response from the dragon and the false prophet as they wage war against the saints. Again, these judgments characterize the whole history era of the church. But they will greatly intensify immediately before the end. Now, Matthew chapter 24 explains this a little bit. Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is uh, on the uh, Mount of Olives. He's getting ready to be taken uh, to, to the cross. And he teaches his disciples there about the end times. And he said, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And will mislead many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, the wars and the famines and the earthquakes, very similar to the plagues that we read here in Revelation 6. But notice that Jesus said, these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. All these hardships, these, these earthquakes and famines and, and wars and all have existed in the earth alongside the church down throughout the ages. But here Jesus says they're the beginning of birth pangs. You mothers who gave birth, you know. What this, what this is like. Pain characterizes the entire labor process, doesn't it? But early on in labor, there are, the, the, the pain is there, but it's not as intense as it's going to get. And there are periods of relief. But as the birth time progresses, those pains become more and more intense, don't they? The nearer you get to that baby being born, the periods of relief disappear. <laughs> and with that description here, uh, the world is, is being said, Jesus is saying that the world isn't going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse. Wars and plagues and famines existed the whole time of the church age again. But we can expect there to be an increase and an intensity to these things as the end approaches. Now, Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, these words, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, Paul knew that he was in the last days. Paul knew that they were living in the time of the last days, that those last days began when Jesus rose from the dead. But he said, difficult days 
will come. This is still, he's, he's in the last days, but he realized that difficulty is even going to get worse. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And again, of course, all these things have existed in the world of sinful people. There has never been an age when people were not ungrateful or people were unholy or unloving. Where they, There's never existed a time in, in sinful uh, history where people weren't gossips, brutal. But, Paul, but Paul's point is that as the world winds down, it ramps up in sinful behavior. And this parallels what Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32, where he said that the more men ignore God and suppress the knowledge of truth, as will happen in the last days, just before the time comes, there will be an intensity of sin. See, with the, with the growth of sin, the saints will suffer persecution. And so tribulation for the church becomes more intense as judgments are poured out upon sinful mankind. Now, as we look at these things, we know that Revelation wasn't written to tell us the when of future events. In fact, it may not even tell us all the why, <laughs> but it does tell us who is in charge. Let that comfort you. Let that be an encouragement to you that you know who, who holds these things in his hands and is in control of all the wars and of all the famines and all the plagues and all the upheavals of the earth. These are part of the judgments that are sent by Christ the King during his great reign. And all these things are pointing to a final judgment. You, though, you and your future are in his caring and sovereign hands. And so you shouldn't be afraid. Keep your eyes and your ears open. Be vigilant like those uh, virgins that Jesus talked about who kept their lamps trimmed and burning as they waited for their groom. Be that. Now, again, we look at these, our seven uh, seals, the first seals go together, so we read them together. Uh, each of those seals are broken, and a loud, thunderous voice comes from one of the, uh, the four living beings who say, come. And as soon as they say, come, a horseman appears. The number four, of course, corresponds to the four corners of the earth, meaning that as these four horsemen go out, they go to all the ends of the earth. There's not a place on earth that, is, uh, that will not receive these, these judgments. And again, we don't need to see these uh, being sent out sequentially, but simultaneously. So that the conquest, the civil unrest, the famine, and the death are unleashed upon the whole earth. 
Now these four horsemen and their colors are very reminiscent of Zechariah chapter 6. And in Zechariah's vision, there are four groups of horses with chariots. These horses are called the four spirits of, of heaven who were eager to patrol the earth. They were commissioned by God to punish the nations that oppressed God's people. They were sent out to be uh, as a vindication of God's great love for his people Israel. And it's interesting that the colors of the horses in Zechariah match the same colors of the horses here in Revelation, uh, each color symbolizing the respective plague delivered by the horsemen. White represents conquest. Red represents bloodshed. Black represents famine. And uh, dappled, it's sometimes called dappled or, or pale green or ashen, stands for death. You know that when, uh, we still say that today, don't we? That when someone is sick, oh, he's looking pretty green. Well, that's the idea here, this, this color. It uh, stands for death and illness. But as the horsemen go out, a, a description of their devastation is given. And so the first horseman rides a white horse. And we're told that he carries a bow and a crown, conquering to conquer and to conquer. Interesting that he's given a bow, not a lance or not anything. He's given a bow. Why? Well, in, in 62 AD, the Parthians had a great victory over the powerful Roman army. And they used the bow to defeat the Romans. And so the bow came to symbolize, by the time Revelation, I think, was written, it came to symbolize a a threat against earth's peace and the empire's security. Moreover, we're told that he wears a crown. This is, a, this is the crown of a, of a despot. Uh, someone who, who is demonstrating a great lust for power and, and world dominion. And, and of course, the world... Uh, even before the time of Christ, but, uh, but after the time of Christ, has, has had this long history of men vying for world domination, right? You had the Romans, the Visigoths, Attila the Hun, uh, Genghis Khan. Well, think of all the Islamic forces, Saladin, Napoleon, Hitler, Hirohito. All these names come to mind. Historians note that more wars broke out in the 20th century than any previous century. Isn't that an interesting thing? But isn't it interesting also that, uh, that, that the, 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 the century ironically began with a world war that was hailed, the war to end all wars? Did World War I end all wars? Uh, the shadow of this horseman is cast over all these wars as Christ uses warfare and the, the lust that men have to dominate, to break the arrogance of men. Then the second seal is broken. And there we see a red horse goes forth with his rider. This rider is carrying a great sword, and he does so to take peace away from the earth. The first horseman uh, reminds us that there is violence associated with war. This, this reminds us that there is much terror and there is much sadness and there's much peace that is taken away that, that's not necessarily associated with war. And here, even in the 20th century, 
We saw the genocide of the Armenians in 1915, the Holocaust, uh, the Holocaust of the Jews in the 1940s, the, the Soviet purges of Stalin in the 50s, the killing fields of Cambodia in the, uh, in the 1970s by Pol Pot. Even in the last 24 years of this century, we saw the horrifying events of 9-11, major conflicts in Congo, in Syria, Darfur, Nigeria, Yemen, Iraq, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Turkey, Ukraine, Colombia, and Israel. And that's not all the list. Haven't we seen in our own streets the last couple of years the streets being torn up by violence? Riots that end up in, in destruction of property, uh, burning down buildings and cars. Furthermore, haven't families been ripped apart by the so-called sexual freedoms? Countless babies are aborted. Legislation now granted to kill babies even into the third trimester. And parades and schoolrooms and churches are being shattered by bullets in our culture. And who here leaves their cars or their front doors unlocked anymore? Why? Social structures are being overturned. People are being threatened on every level. Just last year, we saw devastating fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and earthquakes ruin people's lives while politicians promise peace and prosperity even while they're spurning God's law. And therefore, we see that the red horseman goes forth as the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. And with that, the third seal is opened. And this calls forth a, a, a rider on a white horse, or on a black horse, pay a pair of scales in his hands. And then there's these outrageous prices for essential grains being declared. All these words uh, indicate a, a, an economic collapse where people will have a hard time buying even the necessities of life. And we've seen famines uh, drive prices up. It's interesting that a quart of wheat for denarius signified a, a daily ration of food for a day's salary. In other words, a person is working only to survive. This writer brings in hardships and deprivations, but isn't it interesting? Uh, let the oil and the wine remain unhurt. What does this indicate? It tells what we all see, what we all know. The poor get poorer, the rich get richer. Oil and wine are luxuries that the rich will be able to get, even though it costs them a fortune. But all this is widening the gap of social structures that are constantly now being attacked, creating even more instability. You see this, right? And then finally, the last horse is summoned. He is, uh, he's riding a pale green horse representing sickness and death. His name is Death. His name is Death, and with him, Haiti follows. These deadly forces that we've been reading about with these other seals and these other horsemen inflict four different kinds of woe on the earth. And here they're represented and they're summarized for us as deadly weapons. These are the things that cause men to die, mostly deadly weapons, famines, diseases, and wild beasts. 
this is all, again, reflective of, of Ezekiel 14, where in verse 21 of that chapter, uh, the idolatrous people of Jerusalem were warned, where God says, I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beast, and plagues to cut off man and beast from it. Do you understand that, that these are coming to an idolatrous people? People who have given up worshiping the true living God and pursuing idols, and so God gives them over to, to death. Back in chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus is the one who has the keys of death and Hades in his hands. And here we see now Jesus exercising his kingly authority, sending death and Hades into the world. And, and when the four horsemen go forth, he this particular one intensifies what the other three have accomplished. Death and Hades comes upon those who are resolved to live in unbelief and idol worship. And again, all these plagues are not for some undefined future event. They began as soon as Jesus took the throne. And all these plagues, all these hardships and these famines and these wars and these rumors of wars and all these things are used by Christ. These things have gone on with, with uh, some rest here and some rest there throughout time. But they will continue to grow and intensify as we get closer and closer to the end. While these calamities are executed upon the wicked in judgment, they sanctify the saints. We're not told in Revelation that the saints will not be here. No, the saints are going through all these things too. They endure these afflictions and the, these plagues along with the world. But again, while these things harden the unbelievers and their unbelief, they have a sanctifying effect upon you, his people. Now, some people may be wondering here, how can a kind and gentle and loving Savior such as Jesus, as he's portrayed in the Gospels, order such fierce judgments upon the earth? Well, that is a genuine problem for people. It's only because they fail to realize that Jesus is not just loving, he is holy, he is righteous, and in his righteousness, he hates sin. In his holiness, he hates wickedness and self-righteous rebellions with a, with a terrible passion. You know, people rightly look at the cross as the place where God's great and mighty love was demonstrated. But you know, that is also the place where God's infinite wrath against sin was demonstrated. We hear this even in Jesus' voice as he faced God's righteous wrath, as God's righteous wrath is being poured out upon him as he carried the sins of his people with him. Jesus trembled in agony, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was crushed on that cross only because he bore the sins of his people. But that cross was raised to say, this is what sin deserves. 
And if people will continue to reject Christ, all they will have left is his wrath. King Jesus will execute wrath with all the, the infinite fierceness of a holy and righteous God who is offended by the lack of love and, ingra and ingratitude. We are living in days, beloved, are we not, where sin is abounding more and more? The insanity of sin is driving people to exalt themselves. I was watching a YouTube uh, thing this last week and where someone was talking about, well, you know what? There are not two genders. There are as many genders as you want to have in your own mind. You are the creator of your own reality. What is that? That's a proclamation, I am God. That's what that is. Listen to the talking heads on TV. They scoff at the idea of repentance. We are told we need to respect these ridiculous buffoons who talk of multiple genders and, and harp on race. Do, do you think that it is a strange fad that the entire globe is fascinated with homosexuality? Not only is homosexuality supported, it is exalted and Homosexuals are applauded as the very cream of society. But do you think also that transsexuals are a passing whim? Soon blow over. But in addition to that, look at how the grocery prices have jumped 20% higher than two years ago. And how many of you have had a cost of living increase to compensate for that? Housing is sky high. I can tell you, my, my rent and utilities alone are over twice the salary that I earned 20 years ago. Romans tells us, my friends, why all this is happening. Revelation here is telling us why all these things are happening. It is because people are resisting the glory of God. They're suppressing the knowledge of truth and unrighteousness and ungodliness. They grow in arrogance and, and in their self-sufficiency, proclaiming themselves to be gods. And so in judgment, God is giving them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies will be dishonored among them. God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for the, uh, for the, uh, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also men abandoning the natural function of the woman and burning in their desire for one another. God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's what this is. God giving them over in judgment to a depraved mind to do these things which are improper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, evil, greed, and such. These evils, again, have existed in the world ever since. But are they not growing in intensity? Do you not see that? But again, we don't need to fear because what we're seeing is that the righteous Christ on his throne is smiting the rebellious people of the world with the rod of his wrath. But here we're seeing that Christ is in control. The world looks like it's spinning out of control. And that you hear the, 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 you hear people on TV and, and podcasts saying, oh, the world is, is, is becoming out of control. Look at all this stuff. It's not out of control. Jesus is on the throne, and he's using all these woes to execute his righteous judgment.
you see the homosexuality and the transgenderness and you see, uh, tr you, you see the, the rise of inflation and all these things. That's just the horsemen doing their work. And he's using our sufferings to bring us into glory, into his victory. Last summer, Lynn and I had the great privilege and blessingness of, of traveling Europe by train. One of the first places that we went to was Bruges in Brussels. And uh, just, you know, we were just walking around and we stumbled into a park where we saw four modern statues that were arranged in a semicircle. And, and as I was looking at these statues and kind of like, well, these are kind of sick looking, <laughs> it, it dawned on me, no, these statues represent the four horsemen of Revelation 6. In fact, there was a little plaque that says, oh, that very same thing. Wow, well, how, how smart I am. But as I was looking at these, these four statues and wondering who would make statues like this, I looked just a couple of yards beyond them, and, and there were these two ancient Roman pillars that were dated back to the first century. And then if you kept looking on, on past those pillars, on you see the steeple of a great cathedral. And I thought, well, there's the story of Revelation right there. Roman pillars representing the military and political power of Rome with all its culture and all its art. But the horsemen did their work. Rome's strength is dead. And only small, dilapidated pillars are left of its culture. Out in the distance, though, was the steeple representing God's promises, representing God's kingdom. It stands high. It stands lofty over the world. And the four horsemen are gathered round to bow to it as its faithful servants. My friends, that's the message of Revelation. Those who trust in Jesus will certainly suffer these, these persecutions, these trials, but we will be saved through them. While the horsemen are working their terror in the world. Don't fret, don't worry. The message of Revelation is that Christ is in control. He's in control of the world events, and he's certainly in control of your lives. And he's using all these things to perfect you and to bring on his most holy, perfect purpose. So here's my, my call to you. Look past the afflictions and the trials and the things that are going on in this world. Don't be filled with fear when you watch the news on television. Be filled with hope because you have a glimpse of what Christ has in store for you. Christ is reigning. And his gospel offer is open to all who would now receive it. So, beloved, let us give ourselves, let us devote our time to gospel work, declaring that only as Christ is found a lasting kingdom where true peace, true health, true life is found and found in abundance. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this word and for uh, the message that you are in control, even over all the plagues and all the wars and all the rumors of wars and all the famines and all the, 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 the bloody things that are going on in this world, O oh Lord, that would cause our hearts to, to 
to tremble. And yet, O oh Lord, we see that you're using these things. In fact, you've ordered these things to bring men to their knees. And so, Lord, we don't want to be faithless here. We, we want to pray, O oh Lord, that the war in Ukraine and the war that's happening in the Middle East and the wars and the conflicts that are happening in Africa and other places in the world, Lord, that you would uh, drop men to their knees, that they would see their need of a Savior through all these things, that you would humble them, Lord, as they see the price of, of, uh, of gas and the price of, of uh, food go up and the housing market goes so unstable up and down and, and, and it's, you can't buy a new house anymore and Lord, let these things be a way of humbling people, that they would see their rebellion against you, that they are deserving this and worse, that they would turn to Christ as the great and loving Savior that we know and love and are willing to serve even to the laying down of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand.